Hello and welcome once again to the Morbid Museum. We are your hosts, Katie Mead and Luke Boyd. Hi, everybody. We hope you enjoyed our special guest last week. We had such a good time. Yes. Thank you, John Ferry, for a wonderful conversation about John's bones and the history of the bone trade, which we learned a lot about. We sure did. Uh, so we're going to kind of keep it bony <laughs> for Mad a little bony. while. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we we figured this next little grouping of episodes we, we might be focusing more on body stuff. So the topic of today's discussion, ladies and gentlemen, is the Fiji mermaid, the original humbug in American <laughs> Dime Museum culture. This is such a fun topic. Some of our topics are really difficult to find levity in. This is not one of those topics. This is yeah, going to be no, really I'm so fun. excited. <laughs> going to be a real tonic. So get ready after you've picked your turkey bone clean from Thanksgiving. It's going to be a really fun one to, to mull over. Okay. So what is a Fiji mermaid? Well, the Fiji mermaid is a notorious fake biological specimen. What? Already? <laughs> Spoiler Oops. alert! <laughs> so, in the 19th century imagination of the United States and Great Britain, the Fiji mermaid was an object of immense fascination. They were seen on both sides of the Atlantic, and they were passed off as authentic specimens. And really, they were what's called a humbug or a gaff. Today, we might think of it as a hoax, um, but most people in the time would think of it as a humbug. And what, what really is a humbug compared to a hoax? Well, a humbug is all in jest and in fun. It's not right. really trying to say this is a real mermaid. Um, right. It may use shady practices to get you in the front door to buy a ticket to see said thing, but it's all in fun. It's not well, trying to say this is the spaghetti monster. You know, It's the difference between Harry Houdini doing his illusions versus the spiritualist saying, no, I'm talking to your dad. Exactly <laughs> correct. Yes. So we're more in the former. We're in the Houdini yeah. world. And the whole vaudeville world kind of comes out of dime museums and midway culture, mm -hmm. which, again, is just so fascinating, Katie, to continually find these connecting threads. I know and unintended in these conversations. So I'm sure you'll have a lot to pick at as we discuss this. So yeah, I actually, I just had like a moment where my brain just opened up Yeah, tell years me. ago. I want to say like 2009. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, 1974. Yeah, in 19... Yeah. The Museum of Natural History had a special exhibition that was about mythology mm. and they covered mermaids and i i remember none of it clearly because i got the second i walked in and i saw a giant unicorn i cried because <laughs> i was just so excited because <laughs> i have mental problems <laughs> but um it was a great exhibit because it talked about sort of what you're saying that these fantastical creatures are this shared thing throughout the world like every yes. culture seems to have dragons, yes. mermaids, right. unicorn, like these mythical beasts, if mm -hmm. you will. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's, thank you so much. <laughs> you made me I something I clearly I'm, repressed for some reason. Well, that exhibit sounds so cool. And isn't it, it interesting was. that, I mean, isn't it interesting that was at a natural history museum? Well, it got a lot of shit for that. Cause right. people were like, why the fuck is this here? Nothing here is real. 
But a hundred years ago, a dime museum would have had a woolly mammoth and a Fiji mermaid in the same gallery. Yeah. You know, so it what was they, natural history. What they made it about was uh, a cultural. It's a it's a natural sure. cultural history. They looked at it as like an anthropology pelagical absolutely approach which which was interesting and that's a big discussion in this like fiji mermaid area is you know some of these articles and critiques are saying why did these fake things enter our museum like our austere yeah you know museum of archaeology or, or you know um natural history and they tell us a story about man's relationship to science mm. and you know the eras of discovery of the 19th century and so these things become artifacts even though they're made of plastic or paper or something like that so it's a really fun topic and it's a lot of historical imagination going on here <laughs> um so needless to say if you have not already if you haven't pulled over to the side of the road or on the on the bus um, uh, and looked up what a Fiji mermaid is. <laughs> Please pull over. Do not. <laughs> Do not Google while you drive. So the Fiji mermaid is a grotesque, ugly old thing. It is a small sort of mummified, desiccated object. And it looks like it's half fish, half mammal, sometimes half monkey, as it is described. And it has very extreme expressions. It often has its mouth open. It's big teeth, um, and it would also be sort of linked to things like a chimera, like an ancient oh. mythological creature. Like the chimeras. This is not. This is not Ariel. This is not. <laughs> this is not Ariel, girl. So, okay. Um, but let's talk about that. So, you know, and before I get there, let's just say that the the thrust of this conversation is that in 1842, the Fiji mermaids hit the scene in a really big way when Phineas Taylor Barnum, T.T. <laughs> Barnum. Famous Sounds showman. like a band. <laughs> Remember um, when the Fiji mermaids hit things in 1842 <laughs> in a big way? Yes, at the Shabu Inn. Okay. Um, <laughs> and so when that ex when when the Fiji mermaid was displayed in New York City in 1842, um, it was a huge deal. And it catapulted the Fiji mermaid into another level of superstardom. So mm -hmm. we're going to talk about the Fiji mermaid's history with P.T. Barnum, with Humbugs, and with Dime Museums. And strap in for the ride. So Yay! Let's talk about mermaids and imagination before Barnum, before the Fiji mermaids of the 19th century. So, of course, as Katie mentioned, uh, mermaids have captured the imagination of human beings for centuries. Going back to the Greeks, we know about the sirens who mm -hmm. would beckon sailors. Um, some of them would have been located off the islands, uh, off the coast of Sicily, which made me think of the White Lotus, of course. Oh, um, yeah. Um, so, you know, so, so the siren song would draw a sailor in to their peril. Um, in Irish folklore, there, of course, are fishermen who married mermaids who came to dry land. I also thought of the great movie, um, uh, The Secret of Roninish, or The Legend of Roninish, whatever, from the <gasps> I 90s. Love that movie. Isn't that an amazing movie oh with the selkies, God. the seals who become human? Luke, yeah. you just unlocked some serious childhood mem what is this episode doing to me this this is your life katie mead oh uh, <laughs> well and i was thinking too because of the new inish movie um the martin right. mcdonough movie McDonough so that got movie, me thinking yeah. of the Ron Ron inish um so that's a really fantastic movie from the 90s um uh, and it's a really it's again because i think we saw it when we were younger so it really was impactful yeah and never seen anything beautiful. like that when i was a kid yeah no freaky <laughs> yeah so it's about people you know a, a woman who's like you know transforming from a seal into a woman it's crazy um the selkies 
<laughs> that's crazy. Um, and of course, Hans Christian Andersen's The Little Mermaid uh, has delighted readers and moviegoers <laughs> for many years. Uh, I believe there's a statue of The Little Mermaid in Copenhagen. Um, yes, because as we all know, you need to change who you are for your man. <laughs> or die in the ocean. You need to literally give up your voice. Wow, that's powerful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There are also... Uh, other examples across the world, mermaids were very popular as a cultural idea in folklore in Japan. I don't know that much about the Eastern side oh, of the mermaid story. So it's I, pretty wild. I'm fascinated. Yeah. So there are some examples of ancient mummified mermaids of the same ilk in Japan, which we'll talk about towards the end. Mm -hmm. And that's where the Fiji mermaid really comes from. It didn't okay. come from Fiji. Spoiler alert again. Oddly enough. <laughs> Didn't come from Fiji, so it came from Japan. So um, in in antiquity, in, in Japanese culture, mermaids were, uh, these Fiji mermaids, as they're called, these fake mermaids, were made by Japanese fishermen and artists, craftspeople, and they were exhibited for money and sometimes even used in religious rites. So even if people oh. knew that this icon was fake, they assumed that it had sometimes spiritual or supernatural powers, which is interesting. So again, yeah. going back to the idea of the dolls, the icons, yeah. things that we know are produced by man's hand, but somehow can become imbued with power. Now, as um, always, Luke has prepared for me a PowerPoint. <laughs> there is a slide deck for <laughs> can this. Can I look at this thing? Am yes, I you can. Okay, yes, you let can. me look. Holy God. <laughs> <laughs> Grotesque oh, is the word. She's beautiful. <laughs> there was some 19th century account that said like you know describing it as ugly is an insult to ugly things everywhere <laughs> i mean this makes some of those dolls you posted seem adorable yeah this is a very visual thing to understand if you're not if you haven't seen it before shit so it's about 16 inches long or two feet you know very short it's not like a full length doesn't look like a human it's got a small monkey head looks like a monkey head um, like an alien, they got like a yeah, like a little monkey or like a little alien face. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't look really like anything. Um, no, the teeth are really scary. The body's um, all kinds of wrong. <laughs> it's not this. It's, it's not, not right. Good. It's not, not right. It's not Christian. It's not good. Um, but it does look put together. <laughs> it it looks hobbled. Yeah, there's a there's a clear some of the pictures you see there's a line where like the where like the fabric body ends and the fish body begins. Like it's yeah. these things haven't aged well over time. Um Yeah. Exquisite fakes in their time. I'm sure. Um, so in Japanese culture there was an idea of a a human fish or a ninyo. And the idea behind the ninyo is that you could eat of their flesh to extend your life mm. um, or encountering one or catching one in your net would be a harbinger of misfortune. Well, what, well, which fucking is it? So I caught it. Now I have, now I have to eat it. <laughs> you not like it. So now I can have bad luck forever. I can live you forever. You think if you catch it and you release it, then you're fine. Yes. But no, not only do, did I catch it, now I have to eat this hideous monster? Yeah. Well, we know Japan's an archipelago of many islands. I'm sure there's different associations on each island. I mean, it's oh. very, it's, I mean, you would not want to catch this That's thing. just I a would. lot of stress. That's a stressful situation. 
It's a lot of stress. This is sometimes called the Japanese monkey fish. That's an appropriate name as well. Yeah. So when this thing was introduced to North America, it was called the Fiji mermaid because it sounded exotic, really, which is very popular in sort mm -hmm. of dime museum entertainment. Um, but Chinese water torture. Hello. Hello. Right. So mm -hmm. and Fiji is 4000 miles nautically from Japan. So it's in the South Pacific, whereas Japan's in the North Pacific. Mm -hmm. So again, but to most people of, of the North of the United States, States who'd never been outside of Kansas or wherever they're from, it sounds cool. And it was spelled mm -hmm. F-E-E-J-E-E. -E -E. So Perfect. very, very, very <laughs> phonetically. Fiji. Ah. There was no not pronouncing it right. <laughs> yeah, there's you can't get it right. If you're gonna appropriate it, you might as well just bastardize it. So yeah, sure. um in P.T. Barnum's autobiography, since you since you were looking at the slide, he describes it as an ugly, dried up, black looking, and diminutive specimen. Its arms thrown up, giving it the appearance of having died in great agony. Yeah. Huh? Yeah, that's pretty good. Now, we'll come back to that description because that is going to help us do some detective work, Katie, in terms of trying to track down the OG Fiji mermaid from 1842. Ooh, I'm ready. I'm on the case. <laughs> case in the joint so before we go further katie and i have been talking about this topic for a long time and i'm really excited to kind of just pick it apart a little bit with you the idea of what is a dime museum finally really yes. Getting into it. yes so we've kind of set the scene that um dime museums were very popular in the 19th century and that they were derided as fake museums now why is that because dime museums were really places for lowbrow entertainment so we're talking about cheap thrills mm -hmm. we're talking about the kind of entertainment that would be catering towards immigrants people of lower socioeconomic status they were centers of entertainment for the working class you know mm -hmm. and 10 cents would get you in the door what sort of things would you encounter in a dime museum well it seemed that there was no end to the eclectic uh, morbidities and often <laughs> dime museums were described as morbid. You know, they yeah. were they're very shocking, seeing a lot of grotesque things, and this included things that were alive and dead. We really need to call Ryan Murphy, and he needs to get his shit on this <laughs> for an American Horror Story season because American Horror Story Dime Museum, holy right. shit! American Horror Story, right? Barnum done. Done. Because, um, like, I, I have not seen The Greatest Showman, but I know that it has a very lighthearted take on it all, right? Okay, here's a really hot take. Let's do and it. And you may not be ready for this. I'm Okay. I have not watched it in its entirety because I hate the sound of Hugh Jackman singing. Ooh. I hate it. It, uh, like, up my spine. <sighs> They just uh, his vibrato makes me insane. I hate it. I can't. He, I can't. He's one of those. Him. He's one of those singers where it's technically he's a good singer. He's hitting all the notes, but th there isn't necessarily a sound in there that's it's not beautiful to listen to. Correct. Like, it's technical. It's technical. It's very good technically. So sorry, musical no. theater nerds out there. I'm sure many of you love The Greatest Showman, but I just yeah. I can't be. I can't be part of it. The numbers just. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> and I know some of the music and, you know, I just, I never got it's into it myself. Fine. The yeah. music's fine. So, oh, wow. Sorry. I'm just going to stop talking because I'm just digging a deeper hole of. No, this is great. This people is great. hating I'm, on. 
I've only seen clips. And because I think you and I are both kind of, we see that and we're like, Barnum, yes, this is a great American story. And it's kind of sanitized. It's kind of, it doesn't go that deep, right? It makes Barnum seem a certain way. Mm-hmm. Which, go on, Luke. Go on with your story. <laughs> okay, well. <laughs> so, dime museums would have contained almost every kind or every genre of entertainment. You would have had comedy. You would have had drama. You would have had freaks, which, of course, were people of physical difference. Uh, cabin of Curiosities. Illusions. You also would have music. You could have uh, aviary. You could have all kinds of different things. And the idea is there's anthropology. There's science. There's natural history. There's bunko history. There's something for everyone. Honestly, so it sounds really fun. It sounds a lot of fun. Yeah. And what a shame that they went away. And the idea behind that was that you could appeal to everybody. Everybody mm -hmm. could find something in your museum that was special to them, that had appeal to them. So we see that kind of amalgam of different kinds of disciplines in a dime museum. So you, you'd yeah. have it all. And it, you know, this would also what they would call like salon style. So this gentleman by the name of Charles Wilson Peel is often credited as one of the first like muse museologists of North America. And he had a museum, I believe in Philadelphia and his, and there's a great painting of him and he's just, he's standing there and it's like, you know, very early 1800s. So he's got like a short, short pant and a leg out and he's got this red curtain behind him and he's pulling up the curtain and behind him, you see his gallery. So oh, he's, cool. he's giving you a sneak peek. He's not letting anything out. You know, he's not letting you really see anything in there. He wants you to come. And it's like, I think the name of the painting is the man in his museum or something. And it's like this huge 20 foot ceiling. And it's just painting, 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 or like cases, like all the way up to the top. So it was just like, whereas today, you know, Katie and I come from more modern galleries and older galleries where we've worked. It's very austere. Everything's yeah. eye level. You've got like, you know, four or five things on a wall. Everything's mm -hmm. measured. This was not the case then. It was just like, blah, 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 like just like, you know, um, object, <laughs> object vomit, like all over the walls. So, cause that was the thing. It was like, it was, you know, res now it's, it's more rifle. Then it was more shotgun. Just like, just like, just, just blast everything. And just, you know, hopefully somebody will resonate. A shrapnel of artifacts. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Including shrapnel. I'm sure from the civil war. Probably um, actual so, shrapnel. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. And it's so funny because a lot of museums in places like the United Kingdom, maybe more our side of the pond, have a dime museum past. Mm -hmm. So a lot of them have objects from their dime museum era before they got more serious, before they got more middle or higher brow as more yeah. as museum practices changed. Because what happened in the 19th and early 20th centuries that museum profession developed. Yeah. And there were collecting practices in the dime museum era that were diametrically opposed with collecting practices now. But if a dime museum was the birth of this modern museum, they're stuck with all the dime museum stuff. Do they deaccession it? Do they get rid of it? What do they do with it? It tells a story in its own way. Sure. The, collecting, the collecting practices of the dime museum were spurious to say the least. They were um, sus. <laughs> There was no such thing as provenance, you know, and so right. Barnum would have things like, you know, the rocker that George Washington was cradled in and, or, you know, or the enslaved person who nurtured George Washington and would just say like, yep, that's it. I say it because it is. This is the provenance because I can write a fake story about it and tell you that it is, you know, so it was all very bad history, yeah. but it was really entertaining. Sure. And I do wonder like the percentage of people who would walk through there and be like, this is fucking horse shit. <laughs> Versus the amount of people who were like, did you see the rocking chair? 
That's actually a really good point, Katie, because there was there was there seems to be some debate about some of these things, mm-hmm. um, especially with the Fiji mermaid. Mm, um, I bet. So, yeah. So there was a lot of back and forth. And also, like we would say about cinematic history, like the telling of a, of a, of a story in a movie or a show that can set us back in historical understanding. Yes. Um, like how Houdini died or how JFK was killed or all of these things can be informed Ugh. by bad cinematic history. Bad museology can also really That's disinform. That's a great point. Misinform. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there was some, some of the articles I was reading made some really interesting connections. I can't claim them as my own. That the Dime Museum was all about a spectacle. It was oh, about yeah. just the experience of seeing something completely out of this world and something that was just completely beyond your imagination. And isn't it interesting that today in our Instagrammability culture, mm. museums are always trying to find spectacle moments in their museum experience. Mm. I think about at the Museum of the City of New York, they have this lightscape, these like hanging lights in their foyer. Like there's this grand staircase, right? Mm -hmm. That thing is there. Sure, it's a piece of art. That thing is there to be photographed, to be hashtagged, to be geotagged, to be shared. You know, we hope that they see some of the artifacts telling the story of the City of New York, but Mm -hmm. most people are going to take a picture of that thing. But if I'm an influencer. Correct. Right. And it's like, not only do I have to post it, I'm posting it because all of my other influencer friends posted it. Right. And now it's my turn to stamp myself there. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of this museum of ice cream? Of course. Okay. (laughs) I have, I've looked at their job postings once or twice over the years. (laughs) So that I think is a very good kind of example of a more modern. Don't they have that giant thing of sprinkles that you could go in? (laughs) Right. So it's like, there's all these, it's very interactive or the Broadway museum, the new Broadway museum they just built. Oh, Um, I am incredibly excited about that right so it's very interactive you walk through set pieces um yeah the museum of ice cream you dive into sprinkles yeah Yeah, so those kind of museums um they're usually the museum of ice cream is really interesting because i'm used to seeing things like that that become like pop-ups yeah where there's something that's very temporary like um national geographic has done like a bunch of those over the years in fact i think they're doing one on king tut soon Mm -hmm. here in new york so usually those are things that you think of as like yeah like um short-term immersive experience type places those remind me more of dime museums minus the horrible exploitation (laughs) of the dime museum yeah exactly um and that's the that's the difference too is that we're not seeing we may see something that's more of an attraction that's passing off on as a museum and a museum you know is whatever we say it is you know um sure it's still a very malleable thing and i think museum professionals for as much as we're trying to be professional we also probably do some kind of you know gatekeeping in terms of that because we sure. want we want we want museums to be a certain kind of way to use that word lightly we don't like but um would I go to the museum of ice cream if someone had a ticket? Yes, I would go, of course. Yeah. Um, yes. yes. Yes, I will go and jump in sprinkles with you. Dive Luke. in the sprinkles, of course. Okay, we're going. So we add that as a as a Patreon. We're not level. posting though. We're not posting because we're snobs. Okay. So. <laughs> As a Patreon level, buy us tickets to the museum. Yes, of ice. you get a date with us to the ice cream museum, and we can oh be shady God. about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want, we'll I want rum raisin. Yeah, <laughs> great. 
I'm there. Um, so something that we're kind of touching on is you could see things like a stuffed, desiccated Fiji mermaid in a dime museum, but you could also see living exhibitions, which is where it gets really, yeah. really dicey. So you may have seen the movie from the 1930s, Freaks. You may know about the freak show culture from American Horror Story. So people with physical difference living were known as living human curiosities. And these people were in Barnum's American Museum, which was located in Manhattan and opened in 1841. So you had people like the mammoth lady or the yeah. bearded woman. You had people like Tom Thumb, someone who had dwarfism. The Aztec twins, who of course were albino, and one of the more famous ones and one of the more uh, difficult ones to talk about is a person on display who was known as a what is it? And this is a person who was suffering from microcephaly. So that's in terms of the formation of the skull. Sometimes people like of this condition would be called pinheads and other terrible monikers and names attached to them. It's awful. And, and this, so this goes hand in hand with the circuses. And after P.T. Barnum's museum era, he goes right into the circus era in his 60s. Mm -hmm. And it's in sort of scholarship, it's thought of that 1840 to 1940 would be the heyday of dime museums, freak shows, and these kinds of amusements and entertainments. And so the scholarship didn't bear out if this is a hard stop because of World War II. But as we know from our many discussions, many of these things that we talk about in antiquity, in our modern idea, are affected by the Second World War. World and War II really took out the legs from under us culturally in a lot of ways. Yeah, like, it how, took how, us way into you, the modern world. How do you go on? You know, yeah. the, the fact that we have gone on is incredible because Jesus Christ. Right. And we thought about, you know, the Grand Guignol and how that was such an amazing entertainment, you know, mm -hmm. and it's very Dime Museum adjacent. It's um, super, super Dime Museum adjacent. <laughs> yeah. Opie um, and yeah. wonderful. And, you know, and, and this is an interesting thing is that the world probably coalesced around mass media more mm -hmm. after World War II. That's just the way it was. And just the human capital that would be needed to put on these kinds of events and shows. The circuses are still around, but they're they're sort of a they're sort of limping along, I might say, yeah. uh, compared to their their former selves. So let's locate a dime museum in the United States to sort of focus on. We sort of touched on it briefly. In 1840, the American uh, Museum opens in New York City and this is owned by P. T. Barnum and he purchases the museum space from a gentleman named Scudder, I believe. Um, and it only functions for about 25 years. It burns down in 1865. But Katie and I know from listening to many a podcast and our love of New York history that if we could go back in time and sort of dip into this, we would definitely check out the American Museum. Mm -hmm, the things sure. you would see, the things you would see, the gaffes, the humbugs, these things were meant to trick the visitor. And 1865 Barnum, was a year, man. Yes. Oh my <laughs> God. That, went down. that was the year for sure. And so what we're seeing in these kinds of places is also what you might see at what is called a midway at a fair. So if you've, mm -hmm. if you've ever heard of the Chicago 1893 Columbian Exposition or the World's Fair in New York City over the years, a midway, even at a, a county fair today, is an area where you would see carnival games, amusement rides, entertainment, what they call dime stores or dime galleries, small dime museums. Themed events, exhibitions, trade shows, pleasure gardens, water parks, food. What are pleasure gardens? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, they're always thrown around when they talk about the World's Fairs and the Columbian Exposition. And I don't think it's what we might think it is. I don't think it's like a European <laughs> sex show. Because <but laughs> to me, like the record scratch, like, as yeah. soon as you said that. <laughs> yeah, you must be 18 to enter. I was like, wait, um, what? 
what? What? what I, I always assumed they were like just gardens that were pleasurable to An look enjoyable at. enjoyable space. Yeah. Yes. Step away from the toxic fumes of the factory next door. Come into the pleasure garden, which right. is filtered. Our lovely Versus boxwoods. Like walking through the weird plastic beads to go into the adult section of the museum. <laughs> yes, the bead curtain. Correct. Yeah, the yeah. bead this curtain. Is, this, Spence, this, pleasure, this pleasure garden is sponsored by Spencer's. Spencer's. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm there. I'm so there. 13 years old, I'm there. Um, okay. Mm -hmm. So that's where the Fiji mermaid would exist in North America. And the beginning is at Barnum's Museum. So the Fiji mermaid object, which you can see, Katie, in your slide deck, is the one you've seen. It's got its arms out. It's got the head. It's got the round eyes. Um, Those teeth, too, man. Big chompers. Yeah, not cute. So the Fiji mermaid that is in the possession of the Peabody Archaeology and Ethnography uh, Museum in Harvard University is believed to Peabody. be- <laughs> Peabody, Peabody is believed. Oh yeah, that's right. That's the Boston like way of saying it. Yeah, yeah Peabody. Yeah. There was a at New Haven. There's a Peabody Museum, and so yeah. that's where I came from. It's like Worcester and Worcester and yeah, Newtown exactly. And anyway, so the Fiji mermaid herself, which exists at the Peabody Museum, and <laughs> is believed to be the descendant, the same one that Barnum used, is believed to have been created in 1810 by a Japanese fisherman. No shit. Yes. Mm. So. The fisherman's mermaid was heralded throughout the Japanese archipelago. He had claimed that he caught it in his net, and he claimed that the mermaid before it expired predicted a great pandemic of sterility in Japan. Oh, no. Oh, dear. Stakes. That's not great. No. Now, the, this fisherman may have been Barnum's Japanese cousin because he said <laughs> he said that the only way to prevent sterility – was to obtain a photo of the mermaid, which he was happily able to sell to you. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's so lucky. Now, again, this thing is created. a reasonable sum of... <laughs> yeah, well, this is where it gets really interesting. So we're getting into the 1820s now. The story is sus, of course, because it's a lot of myth, a lot of legend, a lot of things passed down. But this object is real, and it did get passed down at a certain level to P.T. Barnum. So sure. Now we fast forward to 1822. Okay. The mermaid was sold to Dutch merchants. Based on what I've read, and I'm not sure if this is true, before the Meiji Restoration and before Japan opened up to the world in the 1840s, think about Commodore Perry, 1848. Apparently the Dutch, the Dutch East India Company, all that, they were the only- We're hitting on some of my favorite musical content right now, by the way. <laughs> This is <laughs> Barnum so, Pacific Overtures. <laughs> South Pacific. So um yeah. the so apparently the Dutch were among the only people who were actually allowed to trade with the Japanese because mm -hmm. the Japanese were very isolated before the middle of the 19th century. So Dutch merchants purchase the mermaid from these Japanese fishermen. And it is then resold to a sea captain by the name of Samuel Barrett Edes. This is an American sea captain who buys the mermaid. Now get this, this is multiple sources. So you know it's true. Apparently, <laughs> he purchased the mermaid in 1822 for $6,000. <gasps> He's a sailor? Where the fuck mm -hmm. is he getting that money from? So apparently, he embezzled money to get the capital and he like sold it against the credit in a ship that he was partial owner of. He was not the sole owner of the boat. Oh, he a criminal. So he got in trouble. So he also yeah. he, and he thought that the mermaid would be his ticket to like you know stardom. He's not the first one to smell the humbug. You know what I mean? Like he's. I was like, gonna say oh, he's good. He's, he's good. got some Barnum qualities himself. It's all 
there, you know, and this just gives you a sense also of just like everybody was just trying to huckster their way. Grift, into this. man. It's all oh, about the grift. I love it. I love it. So Samuel Edes buys the mermaid for six grand and he is in financial ruin. He eventually is yes, like, I would be in financial ruin. He is like, he is, for six he's, he's found guilty, sentenced to hard labor. You know, he is wow. not, does not do well. So Edes has to sell his ship in order to afford the mermaid. And he mm, hopes, he hopes to exhibit it. Luck. Bad oh, luck. Proven. Bad luck. It's proven. Yeah. <laughs> so what happens then is the son of Samuel Edes, who is also a Boston sailor, sells the mermaid for a fraction of what it was purchased for by his father to a man named Moses Kimball. Great name. And I love it. And Moses Kimball operated a theater slash museum in Boston that was also a dime museum. One of the first dime museums in North America was operated Ah. by Moses Kimball. And so Kimball is in touch with Barnum and Barnum really wants the Fiji mermaid to be displayed in New York city. Hell yeah. However, he wants to remove the stain of his own deceptive name from the mermaid. And he wants to drum up a level of buzz for the mermaid itself. And so thus begins one of Barnum's most well-orchestrated manipulations of societal expectation to his benefit. Oh my God, I'm so excited. Oh, this is (laughs) thrilling. So what he does first is he has fake letters sent to museums in like Alabama, South Carolina, Virginia, just like picking different parts of the country to send these letters. And the letters are kind of weird. They say like, oh yeah, the weather today in New York is this, this, and this. Have you heard of this Fiji mermaid? It's so cool. (laughs) 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 I heard this guy has it in Boston and blah, blah, blah. So he's sending these letters out and they're like, they're just like, they're just, you know, they're getting picked up by the press here and there. They're starting a buzz, starting a buzz. Man, it Mm. was so, so hard to get your shit out back then. These hype men like him and Houdini, these guys who could just do this. It's it's an amazing talent. It really is. Whether or not you're full of shit. Oh, the ability to manipulate your fellow man in this way, you know, just to get 10 cents out of them. You know, it's not terrible. Yeah, Um, you're not a total. I mean, maybe you're a sociopath. I don't know. But still. Right. <laughs> well, and people were against his deceptive tactics. They didn't think he would. They thought he was unethical. They thought he sure. was, you know. So I mean, he was. Yeah. And he was in the he's, he's in middle age and he's in the heyday of his of his antics. So what he does is he fabricates this story. And these letters are spelling out this story that there's this doctor, Dr. Griffin from the British Lyceum of Natural History has in his possession a Fiji mermaid. Mm. Dr. Griffin is coming to New York. <gasps> he will bring the Fiji mermaid with him and he will show it to the people of this fair city. Did you hear? Did you hear? Did you hear? What? 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 So in July. <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard there's a mermaid in New York City? Okay. <laughs> It's not as good. Okay. So there's all this buzz for Griffin coming. Griffin's coming. Griffin's coming. Griffin's coming. Griffin arrives in New York in July of 1842. And Griffin is not who he says he is. Griffin is a ally of P.T. Barnum by the name of Levi Lyman, who is is impersonating a British uh, natural historian. So 
thus <sighs> begins a whole other level of deception. So Barnum goes to his friend, Levi Lyman, who's posing as Dr. Griffin, and says, please, please, man, may I see this Fiji mermaid? I'd love to display it in my museum. And Dr. Griffin says, no. I will not allow my specimen to be degraded to be seen in your pitiful. No, you have to do an over-the-top British accent because he's pretending to be British. <laughs> Come on, do it right. <laughs> do it again. But no, Mr. Barnum, I will not show you this Fiji mermaid in your pitiful dime museum. Never. So they go back and forth, back and forth. They stage these other events where journalists are allowed to come in and see a other um a uh, doctor come in who's also a crank who will investigate the item and say that it's real, blah, blah, blah. Um, plants. He's this whole plants. plant. Right. And so events. So then what happens is Barnum is pretending like he thought the mermaid was going to be a voluptuous woman. So he like before the mermaid was like it was going to be a sexy mermaid. Yeah, but Dr. Griffin came, he was already making these prints and broadsides of these voluptuous, topless mermaids. Oh no. Getting ready for his display. <laughs> And he goes, well, this is stupid because the mermaid is a monkey fish, so that's not that's not relevant. Let me just give this print to all these newspapers, and you can just have this. Oh, by the way, I'm also going to print 10,000 copies of this pamphlet about this mermaid and just distribute them around the country. And around how, the city. What? How did all of these get here? <laughs> yeah. So what that does is it creates this groundswell, which forces Dr. Griffin to relent and to say, ah, oh, yes, Mr. Barnum, I will allow... The Fiji mermaid to be displayed. I don't know why a- you aren't committing to this character. <laughs> just, just go in. I don't know. Levi Lyman, you know, he actually couldn't do a British accent. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yes, Mr. Barnum, I shall allow my Fiji mermaid to be displayed in the American Museum for one month. So oh, thank you. I oh, thank you. Now get this. So remember, Dr. Griffin's not real. So what actually happened was what happened was P.T. Barnum leased the Fiji mermaid from Moses Kimball for $12.50 a week. Whoa. Mm-hmm. That's a good lease with what he's going to turn around. Correct. Museum admission, right? Yes. And so the Fiji mermaid is on display in the American Museum in New York for a month, just a month. And in that month, admissions to the museum tripled because of all of this buzz that had been generated by all of this media and this Michigas and all this press and the back and forth and Dr. Griffin and the drama. And Dr. <laughs> Griffin, Dr. Griffin doubled down. Now, I'm not, I mean, you know, because he also gave erudite lectures <laughs> about the mermaid in his silly fake British yes, accent. Dr. Dr. Griffin. Did his, did his silly lectures about and like apparently there was a guy in the audience who was like I lived for three years in Fiji and I never saw a mermaid and and uh, Dr. Griffin Levi Lyman goes well the limits of one man's ignorance are lim- boundless um, just like just shitting on anybody who's got anything negative to say about this Fiji mermaid. I would have been like hey where in England are you from <laughs> <laughs> are you from London <laughs> what street so What's really fun is that people say, oh, it's a hoax, it's a hoax, it's a hoax. And, you know, Barnum realized it wasn't important whether or not the mermaid was real. All that was important was that the public was led to believe that it might be real. So. And he went really far to, to really confuse people. It's not okay. <laughs> it's just not. It's that I believe there's a word for that. I believe it's called fraud. Yes, it is fraudulent. <laughs> and, you know, the Fiji mermaid was just an amazing example of Barnum's ability to take an object that was kind of ugly and kind of kind of hard to look at and to make it something so interesting and to make it this like earth shaking event that this thing would be seen. Um, So it was really, really quite special. And what's also interesting is that at the time PT Barnum was displaying a duck billed platypus 
in his museum, which was a relatively new species. It had been in Australia forever, but for Americans, it was a very new thing. And so wouldn't it be interesting looking at a platypus and seeing like, this can't be real. This thing with sure. a duck with a duck bill and this crazy body. It's like a mammal. It's got these claws. And so seeing that in context with the mermaid, you're just left to wonder, like, is this real? Is it yeah. not? And that's that's the fun part. No, yeah. it's fair. It really is. Like, <laughs> I think yeah. I was talking to Jay after, like, we were watching Jurassic Park or something. One day I was like, imagine, like, we're totally wrong about this. Like, we've been putting the bones <laughs> together all wrong. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, Tyrannosaurus Rex actually, like, is like, <laughs> right that's the thing like with the feathers they have the feathers yeah. apparently like we didn't think that growing up in the dino right. age of the 90s like what if they are school. dragons i don't know <laughs> we, they could shoot shot fire we don't know i don't know our understanding is changing all the time you can tell um, that uh luke and i are archaeologists as well yeah <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so there are so many wonderful news clippings um one of the great quotes is it's the most odd of all oddities earth or sea ever produced Oh, the Fiji mermaid. Delicious. This is so I mean, what a what a great topic right off of all the Houdini stuff. It really it's so it's so of that time. It's perfect. It really is. It really is. And Houdini, you know, you could, maybe you could argue that the Dime Museum era and Barnum's sort of work, you know, paved the way for Houdini, who paved the way for modern entertainers. He grew up in the Dime Museum. That's how he was even able to become Houdini as we know him now is because exactly. he, he cut his teeth in dime museums. So what happens after this month of triumph with the Fiji mermaid in New York is that it, in, in myth and lore, they say it disappears. What actually happens is Kimball and Barnum kind of share the Fiji mermaid. They're kind of like Kimball is the Barnum of Boston. Mm. And so after it's in New York for a month, it goes up to Boston to Kimball's museum for a month. Okay. Um, and it kind of goes back and forth. Barnum then took it to London. So huh. it, had a, it had a London tour. I'm sure he paid more for that, you know, sort of to get it over there. Kimball's Museum, which I looked into, it was called the Boston Museum and Gallery of Fine Arts. It, was a, it was a theater, a wax museum, natural history museum, zoo, and art museum. And, this is what I'm saying. It was oh, so crazy back then. <laughs> and a stage, and a cool stage, you know? And, and one guy some, ran that. Yeah. Brilliant. Um. So in 1859, Barnum takes the Fiji mermaid to Boston. Now, what happens is, of course, like many of our beloved icons and buildings that we cannot visit today, fire eliminates them. Mm. So we know that the American Museum, Barnum's Museum in New York, perishes in a fire in 1865. The building is destroyed. But at that time, so many people think the Fiji mermaid was destroyed in that fire, right? But at that time, according to records, it, it would have been a Kimball's Museum in 1865. So oh. it wouldn't have been in New York. Okay. But people just assume that, you know, because it was in there at one time, it was destroyed. But people don't necessarily know it went back and forth. Okay. Cal calamitously, Kimball's Museum, the Boston Museum and Gallery of Fine Arts, also burned down in the 1880s. Rut row. Yeah. So Kimball's collections were donated to the Peabody Museum of Archaeology and Ethnology in his death. And in the 1960s, a mermaid was discovered in this um, deeded collection to the museum, this will okay. collection. And so this is where it takes us into a certain sort of the, the fabrication of these objects, which is mm. really, really fascinating. In 1855, P.T. Barnum wrote in his autobiography that the Fiji mermaid was constructed of a monkey's body with a shark tail, with <laughs> fish scales, with animal hair, and I quote, with pendulous breasts. 
<laughs> PT, you dirty dog. That thing is 16 inches long. Really? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> and then he goes on talking about the mouth opening, the teeth bare, and the throes of its death rattle. So, which we already mentioned. So, sure, sure, sure. So, there are several Fiji mermaids that exist across the world today. And they're all, of course, not real. They're all humbugs, they're all fakes. And what's really fun, of course, is that they've all been analyzed. They've been analyzed since the 1960s where they could pull it apart and look at it, but they've also been x rayed. Um, <gasps> CT scanned, and they've even what? tried to do they've even tried to do DNA analysis on some of these things. Guys, we have cancer. Okay, yeah. we- <laughs> that is so real. That is so Can real. Can we maybe refocus a little here? So I take it you don't want to look at the uh, at the JPEG of the Fiji mermaid X-ray. <laughs> of course I do. <laughs> All right, well, take a look at your slides. If you go okay. down, Going you can see all of these weird ass looking mermaids. Yep. Oh, that's so weird. Yeah. So, what we see is there's no monkey often in these things. No. There is fish. Usually, there's carp. And the idea was that, well, at least the mermaid has to smell like, you know, a fish market. You know, it has yeah, to be. Yeah. It has a very eel like structure. Yeah. So, they would have yeah. like modified carp elements on it yeah. um, but then you see in the x-ray a lot of wire so wire the i was wire, gonna say the little fingers look yeah. exactly like just wire yeah there's wire holding it together a lot of paper mache um <laughs> a lot of fabric just like stuffing the inside and making the body there's also some of the older ones especially because they're from japan mm-hmm. there's um bamboo splints sort of holding the body together so you've got two halves of the body Ridiculous. and that's held together by yeah. a bamboo splint and then sort of nails are also found in the x-rays yeah, I mean when you when you look at the pictures of some of them, they look like like little idols mm-hmm. that you've made, you know, yes. like it looks like it's supposed to be like a deity of some kind, you know what I mean? It's there's nothing about it that seems natural. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um and some of the images come from the um Horniman Museum and Gardens, which is in London, which has a Fiji mermaid in its care, mm-hmm. and there's a wonderful article written by Paolo Viscardi who uh, oversaw the analysis of the Fiji mermaid which includes a 3D like movie of like the of the x-ray. I'm looking and, at the picture that you sent me. Yeah, it's cool to see that. Yeah, he goes to a great length in the discussion. So he names the Fiji mermaid Pseudosiren Paradoxides. Um, <laughs> so if he's going to give it like a real like genus. And, oh, he's and having status, fun with it. He's having a lot of fun. Yeah, so they're, they're paying him well. And so literally it means the absurd pretend mermaid. Um, <laughs> and in his article in The Guardian, he gives you a how-to on how to construct a Fiji mermaid. Like literally Ooh. from soup to nuts, you can make your own. And people are making them like crazy. <gasps> They're very popular objects and oddities on, on the web, on eBay, on Etsy. You know, a lot of people oh are my making God. Fiji mermaids. We should have a competition for our listeners <laughs> and they submit. Yeah. And yeah, the winner gets to like, I don't know, make out with Luke or something. <laughs> great. So good. Yep. Just sold soldier virtue. That sounds great. That sounds great. So if you're looking at those slides, Katie, you might see there's a like an engraving of one of the Fiji mermaids. It's got really mm. big teeth. Yes. So that's the Fiji mermaid that P.T. Barnum describes. And he describes the orientation of the hands. One hand is kind of against the head and the other hand is down. It looks like it's voguing. Yeah. <laughs> P.T. Barnum, Moses Kimball. Yes. Yes, yes. In yes. the middle of Harper's <laughs> Magazine. Okay. So, <laughs> so, 
So that orientation of that Fiji mermaid does not look like the one that's at the Peabody Museum because the not idea is that, that Fiji is supposed to be the same one. So some people have said, oh, perhaps it was it, it was scalded in the fire. There's evidence of the Fiji mermaid at Peabody being somewhat burned. It was probably just broke and someone put it back together. Or there was a second one that Moses had as a backup. Because, you know, why is he why is he waiting for that Fiji mermaid to come back from New York? He can just display another one up there and just keep making the money. Um, right. So it's all very sus, as it were. Mm-hmm. But this is a great sort of, you know, retrospective in our cultural imagination around trying to find these creatures of the deep, these mythical creatures. And of course, the great humbug of the 19th century is that, yeah, the mermaid that you thought would like sing you to your peril at the shores of Sicily is a freaking ugly fish monkey. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a little monster, you know, Uh, and that was the big humbug is that that was the real deception is that people thought they were going to see a voluptuous mermaid. Maybe like the mammoth man or the dog boy or whoever, like an actual person who was who was fish and, and, you know, someone who's a hybrid, you know, model. But it wasn't that. And that was that was the one thing people were really upset about. And because there were things at his museum that were as advertised. Absolutely. But like that, this is definitely not one of them. (laughs) Yeah. And so I mentioned before about the debate in like the reality situation. So isn't it interesting when this fake news world in which we live, um, when the Fiji mermaid went on a, a tour of the southern states in the Carolinas, the Fiji mermaid caused a huge stir. And there were two rival newspapers who were writing these columns that were vociferously arguing about the truth behind the Fiji mermaid. So like what, one, when? This is in the 18, this would be in the 1850s. Okay, so of the time. Okay. Yeah, so okay. it's like one Charleston paper is pro-Fiji mermaid, saying it's a real discovery, it's the real deal. And then another paper in the area saying this is an affront to, you know, to our ability to discern, to rational thought, to skepticism. And, you know, isn't interesting what role uh, newspapers play in being arbiters of truth. And we know that in the 19th century, they were very politicized and often very. took sides based on who was buying them off or who their audience was and just how yeah that's not new kiddos in case how, you were wondering yeah and how <laughs> foolishly manipulatable people are you know yeah and to go as far as to waste all this ink talking about <laughs> this fucking this friggin' thing. Monkey yeah. fish. <laughs> exactly. So these are the kind of things you can encounter in, in microfiche, you know, when you go to these archives. And it's just without context, like, what in the world are they talking about this Fiji mermaid? But it was hugely famous in the time. And um, I can only imagine. Yeah. And it is, it is sort of the quintessential, you know, dime museum humbug and attraction is mm-hmm. the Fiji mermaid. And Barnum gets a lot of the credit, but, you know, kind of like, you know, Edison or other inventors and big people in history, there's yeah. a lot of other people involved, you know, whether it's Charles Wilson Peel, whether it's Moses Kimball, or even Levi Lehman. So it's a really fun story. And I was really delighted to sort of share this with everybody. It's it's a great story. It's so It's so phenomenal. This is why we kind of have taken up residence in the 19th century on this podcast. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> because it's such a weird time. News can only spread so much in so many ways. You can only get the word out so far because you're on the cusp of all of these things being invented. Yes. And so this believability factor is like, well, 10 years ago, we didn't know how to how a light bulb worked. Now all right. of a sudden we have light bulbs. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, magic. <laughs> Exactly. You got one foot in antiquity, you got one foot in modernity. It's and a, you're really astride. 
It's a hard place to live. It's how I feel every time I'm on TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) It's like I'm on it, but I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm only using 5% of my brain. (laughs) But you know what? Sometimes that's that's the way to go through life. You know, ignorance is bliss, you know? Oh, tell me about it. (laughs) So uh, being that we are a museum dedicated to experiencing history in real life, we can talk a little bit about where some of these things can be found. Which is so exciting that there's the so many there's so many specimens that are so around. many so many and a lot of them have a same basic look which to me says something about the mimicability of the item and mm. how things whether it was in a print that someone could emulate or if there was an actual process that was kind of like under you know you know kind of a trade secret and how are there to make any um sorry look are there any like existing daguerreotypes or photos of it at the time that maybe me living in Kansas would see it and be like, I can make one of these. And yeah. So in the second slide, I think there's a carte de visite of like a guy standing at a table and he's standing next to the Fiji mermaid. That to me is. One of <laughs> oh the, yeah. And that's another really ugly one that doesn't look like any of the other ones that we've seen. No. That's <laughs> <laughs> spooky. So um, you can see these all around because they were replicated like jackalopes and like other sort of weird that's the category we're in right yeah, now we're in jackalope yeah, yeah, yeah. we're in yeah, jackalope sure. territory just <laughs> totally fine for me it's a safe space um so um at, so the PBD, PBD museum of archaeology ethnology in harvard in boston is where the by the way it could be peabody i have no idea we're i could i have no idea well, i'm it's not because it's like because it's like peabody's a town in massachusetts but then right. it's in boston we're gonna whether you say tomato, tomato, Peabody, Peabody, it's there in Boston. Check it out. That apparently is supposed to be the Fiji mermaid that P.G. Barnum displayed. The, even one, though, the one that he had. Well, that even, makes sense that it would be in the um, New England. Yeah, because it was- Him being it a was, New Englander. It was gifted from Kimball's estate right. to the to the museum. That makes sense. Um, there is a wonderful replica that was made actually for a film shoot at the Barnum Museum in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Great. It's more of, it's more, it looks just like, it's probably the one from um, The Greatest Showman or something. And it's more, it's got the pose. It's got the hand up. It looks just like that print. So it's more trying to probably be like uh, replicating that. In uh, Seattle at Ye Old Curiosity Shop, there's been a Fiji mermaid on display for over a hundred years. That's the thing. Yeah. That's yes, the, the thing. The thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Correct. Um, the Banff Trading Post in Alberta, Canada has one. The Museum of the Weird in Austin, Texas, which is like a modern dime museum. Yes. That's a well-known one, actually. Have you been? I have not yet. No, on my many sojourns to Austin, but... I would love to go sometime. I absolutely will um, next time I'm down there. I have a few uh, uh, places I need to visit, including our... Yes. yes. And Texas and Texas and the Southern United States are like the home of these wacky museums. Like, yeah. I can't remember where that, where that funeral Weird museum museums, is. roadside attractions, yes. very sa- very Southern tradition now, yep. as well as very Midwest. It's It's a fascinating thing how we kind of started it up here yes. in the northeast but it really isn't we don't do that no really we got we, we got snobby we got snobby we sure it. did fuck us huh yeah no <laughs> it, it is interesting no you know in the little travels i've done in the in, across the country little regions i've seen that's one of the first things i noticed was the way they do history differently in different places like the mm-hmm. way the way history is practiced in arizona or the west where it's so primacy on native people and the spanish whereas right. we're so obsessed with the pilgrims and the dutch and the blah blah blah. you know and that's just the story of the humans of our era of our area you know so yeah it's, 
and yeah, I mean, it's any state you go to. I mean, like going to Louisiana for the first time sure. and being like, oh, yeah, this was this is a ca- a French Catholic place. I'm so not used to that being from Dutch English New York. That's why it looks f- sterile as fuck here. And New Orleans is like gorgeous and opulent. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, more restrained. Um, yeah. So there's a few others. Um, the Cryptozoology and Paranormal Museum in Littleton, North Carolina. Oh, you know that's good. It's got to be good. It looks so good. And it looks like a, a cult museum. It looks like the Warrens. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, the, cryptozoology. Uh, for anybody who's never heard the term before, that is a whole episode in and of itself because cryptids, this would classify as a cryptid. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, where it's kind of this weird beast that's yes. claimed to have been seen that yes. falls under the same ver- uh, purview as the Jersey Devil, Chupacabra, mm-hmm. Sasquatch, mm-hmm. stuff like Bigfoot, that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's all that um, stuff. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and then going across the pond and across the world, the Horniman Museum and Gardens in London was analyzed uh, pretty uh, succinctly. The Science Museum of London has a Fiji mermaid. The Buxton Museum and Art Gallery in the UK has one. And lastly, I got this via Atlas Obscura, the Tensho Kyusha Shrine Mermaid Mummy. I beg your pardon? <laughs> yes, which is located in Fujinomoya, Japan would be the Mac Daddy of Fiji mermaids. And I think the no last slide I, sh- I sent you has that in a box. It's yes. in a case. Yes. Okay. So this mermaid is reportedly 1,400 years old. It and- looks old as fuck. <laughs> and uh, in terms of- It looks of the- like the Crypt Keeper. Yeah. <laughs> from Tales of the Crypt. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm sure there's a Biden meme out there comparing him oh, to a Fiji mermaid. come on, leave him alone. <laughs> just turned 80. Many believe this would be the first of the genre. So again, this is a cultural practice that goes back to Japan. It was remixed in the American sort of, you know, uh, metropolitan world of New York and Boston and the Northeast culture and continues to attract a sort of roadside America vibe today. I found way too many links for this. <laughs> like, it was so cool. Um, there was a lot, you know, That's articles. So One of my favorite websites is, is actually called Roadside America. And, yes, I know Roadside America. And it's a great like travelogue um, sort of you know retrospective. And they had a great piece on this, a couple of great JSTOR articles about the Barnum history, which is really well documented. Yeah. Atlas um, Obscura also always is such a good source for this stuff. So good. So yeah. good. So I'll be sure to put all of those episodes, uh, all of those links uh, in the in the show notes in this episode. But thank you for joining us for this wonderful wild ride through uh, the watery depths of the Fiji mermaids. <laughs> May you never encounter one and then have to eat it. That's right. Best of (laughs) luck to you, fishermen out there. Out there. Luke, fantastic job. This is by far and away one of my favorite things we've ever talked about. (laughs) Yeah, this is so much fun. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Morbid Museum Podcast. Please remember to rate and subscribe to the Morbid Museum Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And please leave us a review on Apple and other platforms. We love hearing your feedback and we'd like to see more of it. Please follow us on Instagram and TikTok at the Morbid Museum and drop us a line at themorbidmuseum at gmail.com. Until next time, we'll see you for another gallery talk inside the Morbid Museum podcast. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.